My name is Professor Rachel Bodell, and you're listening to The Bible in a Year, the story podcast, where we encounter a living God that is calling us to live a life from, with, and for Him. This podcast is designed to help you listen to the one connected story of the Bible and understand it perhaps just a little bit better by learning from biblical scholars that have helped me. We will read the Bible out loud and explore how the one connected story of the kingdom of God is unfolding and how we fit into that story today. This is day 147, and I'm reading from the NIV version of the Bible, 2 Kings 5, Hosea 1 through 3, and Psalm 101. 2 Kings 5. Now Naaman was commander of the army of the king of Aram. He was a great man in the sight of his master and highly regarded, because through him the Lord had given victory to Aram. He was a valiant soldier, but he had leprosy. Now bands of raiders from Aram had gone out and had taken captive a young girl from Israel, and she served Naaman's wife. She said to her mistress, If only my master would see the prophet who is in Samaria, he would cure him of his leprosy. Naaman went to his master and told him what the girl from Israel had said. By all means go, the king of Aram replied. I will even send a letter to the king of Israel. So Naaman left taking with him ten talents of silver, six thousand shekels of gold, and ten sets of clothing. The letter that he took to the king of Israel read, With this letter I am sending my servant Naaman to you so that you may cure him of his leprosy. As soon as the king of Israel read the letter, he tore his robes and said, Am I God? Can I kill and bring back to life? Why does this fellow send someone to me to be cured of his leprosy? See how he is trying to pick a quarrel with me. When Elisha, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had torn his robes, he sent him this message. Why have you torn your robes? Have the man come to me, and he will know that there is a prophet in Israel. So Naaman went with his horses and chariots and stopped at the door of Elisha's house. Elisha sent a messenger to say to him, Go, wash yourself seven times in the Jordan, and your flesh will be restored, and you will be cleansed. But Naaman went away angry and said, I thought he would surely come out to me and stand and call on the name of the Lord his God, wave his hands over the spot and cure me of my leprosy. Bana and Farpar, the rivers of Damascus, better than all the waters of Israel. Couldn't I wash in them and be cleansed? So he turned and went off in a rage. Naaman's servant went to him and said, My father, if the prophet had told you to do something great, would you not have done it? How much more then, when he tells you, wash and be cleansed? So he went down and dipped himself in the Jordan seven times, as the man of God had told him. And his flesh was restored and became clean like that of a young boy. Then Naaman and all his attendants went back to the man of God. He stood before him and said, Now I know that there is no God in all the world except in Israel. So please accept a gift from your servant. The prophet answered, As surely as the Lord lives, whom I serve, I will not accept a thing. And even though Naaman urged him, he refused. If you will not, said Naaman, please let me, your servant, be given as much earth as a pair of mules can carry. For your servant will never again make burnt offerings and sacrifices to any other God but the Lord. But may the Lord forgive your servant for this one thing. When my master enters the temple of Ramon to bow down, and he is leaning on my arm, and I have to bow there also, when I bow down in the temple of Ramon, may the Lord forgive your servant for this. 
Go in peace, Elisha said. After Naaman had traveled some distance, Gehazi, the servant of Elisha, the man of God, said to himself, My master was too easy on Naaman, this Aramean, by not accepting from him what he brought. As surely as the Lord lives, I will run after him and get something from him. So Gehazi hurried after Naaman. When Naaman saw him running toward him, he got down from the chariot to meet him. Is everything all right? He asked. Everything is all right, Gehazi answered. My master sent me to say, two young men from the company of the prophets have just come to me from his hill country of Ephraim. Please give them a talent of silver and two sets of clothing. By all means, take two talents, said Naaman. He urged Gehazi to accept them and then tied up the two talents of silver in two bags with the two sets of clothing. He gave them to two of his servants and they carried them ahead of Gehazi. When Gehazi came to the hill, he took the things from the servants and put them away in the house. He sent the men away and they left. When he went in and stood before his master, Elisha asked him, Where have you been, Gehazi? Your servant didn't go anywhere, Gehazi answered. But Elisha said to him, Was not my spirit with you when the man got down from his chariot to meet you? Is this the time to take money or to accept clothes or olive groves and vineyards or flocks and herds or male and female slaves? Naaman's leprosy will cling to you and to your descendants forever. Then Gehazi went to Elisha's presence and his skin was leprous. It had become as white as snow. Hosea chapter 1. The word of the Lord that came to Hosea, son of Barari, during the reign of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahazah, and Hezekiah, king of Judah, and during the reign of Jeroboam, son of Joash, king of Israel. When the Lord began to speak through Hosea, the Lord said to him, Go, marry a promiscuous woman and have children with her. For like an adulterous wife, this land is guilty of unfaithfulness to the Lord. So he married Gomer, daughter of Diblam, and she conceived and bore him a son. Then the Lord said to Hosea, Call him Jezreel, because I will soon punish the house of Jehu for the massacre of Jezreel, and I will put an end to the kingdom of Israel. In that day I will break Israel's bow in the valley of Jezreel. Gomer conceived again and gave birth to a daughter. Then the Lord said to Hosea, Call her lo Rahumah, which means not loved, for I will no longer show love to Israel, that I should at all forgive them. Yet I will show love to Judah, and I will save them, not by bow, sword, or battle, or by horses and horsemen, but I, the Lord their God, will save them. After she had weaned Lo-Rumah, Gomer had another son. Then the Lord said, Call him Lo-Ami, which means not my people, for you are not my people, and I am not your God. Yet the Israelites will be like the sand on the seashore, which cannot be measured or countered. In the place where it was said to them, You are not my people, they will be called children of the living God. The people of Judah and the people of Israel will come together. They will appoint one leader and will come up out of the land, for great will be the day of Jezreel. Say of your brothers, my people, and of your sisters, my loved ones. Rebuke your mother, rebuke her, for she is not my wife, and I am not her husband. Let her remove the adulterous look from her face and the unfaithfulness from between her breasts. Otherwise, I will strip her naked and make her as bare as on the day she was born. I will make her like a desert, turn her into a parched land, and slay her with thirst. 
I will not show my love to her children, because they are the children of adultery. Their mother has been unfaithful and has conceived them in disgrace. She said, I will go after my lovers who give me my food and my water, my wool and my linen, my olive oil and my drink. Therefore, I will block her path with thorn bushes. I will wall her in so that she cannot find her way. She will chase after her lovers but not catch them. She will look for them but not find them. Then she will say, I will go back to my husband as at first, for then I will be better off than now. She has not acknowledged that I was the one who gave her the grain, the new wine and oil, who lavished on her the silver and gold, which they used for Baal. Therefore, I will take away my grain when it ripens and my new wine when it is ready. I will take back my wool and my linen intended to cover her naked body. So now I will expose her lewdness before the eyes of her lovers. No one will take her out of my hands. I will stop all her celebrations, her yearly festivals, her new moons, her Sabbath days, all her appointed festivals. I will ruin her vines and her fig trees, which she said were her pay from her lovers. I will make them a thicket, and wild animals will devour them. I will punish her for the days she burned incense to the Baals. She decked herself with rings and jewelry and went after her lovers. But me she forgot, declares the Lord. Therefore, I am now going to allure her. I will lead her into the wilderness and speak tenderly to her. There I will give her back her vineyards, and I will make the valley of Acre a door of hope. There she will respond as in the days of her youth, as in the days she came up out of Egypt. In that day, declares the Lord, you will call me my husband. You will no longer call me my master. I will remove the names of the Baals from her lips. No longer will their names be evoked. In that day, I will make a covenant for them with the beasts of the fields, the birds in the sky, and the creatures that move along the ground, bow and soar and battle. I will abolish from the land so that all may lie down in safety." I will betroth you to me forever. I will betroth you in righteousness and justice, in love and compassion. I will betroth you in faithfulness, and you will acknowledge the Lord. In that day, I will respond, declares the Lord. I will respond to the skies, and they will respond to the earth. And the earth will respond to the grain and the new wine and the olive oil, and they will respond to Jezreel. I will plant her for myself in the land. I will show my love to the one I called not my loved one. I will say to those called not my people, you are my people. And they will say, you are my God. The Lord said to me, go show your love to your wife again, though she is loved by another man and is an adulteress. Love her as the Lord loves the Israelites, though they turn to other gods and love the sacred raisin cakes. So I bought her for 15 shekels of silver and about a homer and a lethic of barley. Then I told her, you are to live with me many days. You must not be a prostitute or be intimate with any man, and I will behave the same way toward you. For the Israelites will live many days without king or prince, without sacrifice or sacred stones, without ephod or household gods. Afterward, the Israelites will return and seek the Lord their God and David their king. They will come trembling to the Lord, to his blessing in that last days. Psalm 101. I will sing of your love and justice. To you, Lord, I will sing praise. I will be careful to lead a blameless life. When will you come to me? I will conduct the affairs of my house with a blameless heart. I will not look with approval on anything that is vile. I hate what faithless people do. I will have no part of it. 
The perverse of heart shall be far from me. I will have nothing to do with what is evil. Whoever slanders their neighbor in secret, I will put to silence. Whoever has haughty eyes and a proud heart, I will not tolerate. My eyes will be on the faithful in the land that they may dwell with me. The one whose walk is blameless will minister to me. No one who practices deceit will dwell in my house. No one who speaks falsely will stand in my presence. Every morning I will put to silence all the wicked in the land. I will cut off every evildoer from the city of the Lord. We are reminded in this story that Yahweh God is not only the God of Israel, but other people, all people's stories. He is sovereign over it all. Specifically, we read about Captain Naaman, who had been an enemy of Israel on multiple occasions. In this story, Naaman, a valiant soldier, he had leprosy, which as Dr. Mackey points out, in an honor-shame culture was more than a health problem. It would influence his social and career status. Then we read about his young Israelite slave girl who served Naaman's wife, who reflected, if not suggested out loud, that Naaman need only go to the prophet of Israel, which we know is Elisha. So Naaman goes to his boss, who would be the king of Assyrians, king of Aram, since he was a captain, like second in command, and he told him what the girl said. I find it so striking that he would take this girl's words to heart. I feel like that's God's doing and be willing to tell the king about them because they obviously did not serve Yahweh God. The king says, go ahead, and I'll pull diplomatic strings, as Dr. Mackey says, by writing a letter. He also brings money and lots of clothes, which is interesting. Then the oddness escalates at the point of confrontation. The king of Israel read the letter from the king of Assyria. Note, they are enemies, and the letter reads here, heal him, basically. And the king of Israel is obviously confused because he doesn't view himself as a healer and takes this as some sort of offense. But before matters get too out of hand, the prophet Elijah steps in, asking why the king tore his clothes and requests the man be sent to him. So Naaman goes to Elisha, and Elisha doesn't answer himself, but sends a messenger, telling him to go wash himself in the Jordan River seven times and that he will be restored and cleansed. This is so interesting because as Dr. Mackey says, places are significant in the Bible and the Jordan River represents the place the people of Israel crossed to enter the promised land. And God slowed the river to the trickle and God called them to take 12 huge stones from the riverbed representing the 12 tribes of Israel and that they leave a memorial by the river when God restored the flow of the river as a place of remembrance of who they are and who God is, their Redeemer and Blesser of inheritance. This reminds them of whose name they bear and whose they are to be. Yet, Naaman doesn't know this story. Hence the reason he is upset, because he wants the man, Elisha, to be the one, like a sorcerer maybe or a genie, to, by his own power, make him better. He also doesn't understand the river choice. We read how he viewed his rivers in Damascus to be better. But you and I know the point being that it isn't about the man Elisha or the river itself. It's about Yahweh God. He's the healer. He's the redeemer. So Naaman doesn't care and he isn't looking for Yahweh God. But a man with a trick, he's looking for a lucky moment to fix the problem he faces. And, he, and it made him absolutely desperate. So desperate he's put himself in this situation. And he's so upset, yet his servants gently, softly remind him and make the counter argument. If he would have asked you to do something elaborate, wouldn't you have done it? 
This counterargument reaches Naaman somehow, and Naaman concedes. So he went to the river. Something compelled him, and he dunked himself seven times. And on that seventh time, his flesh was restored. He was considered clean. The powerful truth Dr. Mackey points to is how this army captain was not only not looking for Yahweh God, and it's pretty clear he thought this was a long shot or a sham, but he becomes compelled to just obey. And God and all of his infinite mercy meets him and heals him. Naaman encounters Yahweh God because of God's incredible grace. Then Naaman and his entourage went straight back to Elisha and he says, Now I know there is only one God in all the world and he is the God of Israel. So Naaman is saying the God of his nation, the God named Ramon, is not sovereign. This would have been huge for him. Consider growing up in an entirely different faith and culture and in a single encounter with God, Yahweh God, you know The world, or actually your viewpoint of the world, has shifted on its axis, and you now see the world as it really is, with Yahweh God at the center and above it all, where you hadn't before. Dr. Mackey says it's like changing your national allegiance, because faith and national allegiance were so frequently tethered together in that time. This miracle wasn't a trick or a single act of sorcery, but a total conversion moment for Naaman. So Naaman wants to give Elisha a gift, but Elisha wants to remind him it wasn't him that did it, and the gift cannot be repaid. So Naaman wants to serve in response. He wants to take dirt, which might initially just seem crazy, and he never wants to make sacrifices to other gods, and he wants to be forgiven when he, as the second in command, must follow the king of Aram into the temple of Ramon and must look like he's supporting that faith. But Naaman doesn't believe and wants forgiveness for even the appearance of allegiance. He wants the dirt to remember the place, this conversion moment where God's grace met him, called him, and restored him. With this dirt, Naaman will make an altar in his house with this very dirt. And Elisha responds with shalom, go in peace back to your pagan place. God is so awesome in this story and reminded about how God surprises us with grace and and his redemption has nothing to do with whether or not we deserve it. Such a strong reminder. And remember in the New Testament, the story of Paul, who was also an enemy of Christians when he was Saul, until God called him and redeemed him. We also see this hint of what it means to be in the world, an often pagan one, but not of it. I'm reminded of the dirt, the place, and to remember to take with us the place of sanctuary and sanctification, even if it's just a memory. But there's something special when it's physical, right? And Dr. Mackey says it's not because God is more present in some places, but some places represent the moment where God met us and changed us. We also put a pin in Second Chronicles for a few days to talk about the book of Hosea. Hosea was a prophet who lived in the northern kingdom, which sometimes referred to as Ephraim or the tribes of Jacob. And at the time of Jeroboam II, one of the worst kings, Hosea was prophet. So much so that Jeroboam II was such a terrible king that God gave Israel, this northern kingdom, over to the Assyrians. And Dr. Mackey describes the book of Hosea as a collection of mostly poetry from Hosea's 25 years of service. There are three main parts to the book of Hosea. This first part, which we read today, is about Hosea's broken marriage to Gomer, who commits adultery. 
Dr. Mackey describes how, in its original language, it isn't so clear whether Gomer was unfaithful before or only after their marriage. But they have three children together. Yet the point of the poem seems to be focused on God telling Homer that despite her unfaithfulness, he is to go after her and to pay her debts to her lovers and to commit again to faithfulness. Whew! Countercultural then and countercultural now, but the prophetic message is that this is how God has been loving Israel. God is faithful and pursues, redeems, atones, restores, and the people of Israel are seemingly endlessly unfaithful, piling up debt and running away. God rescued the Israelites from Egypt and delivered them to abundance in the promised land. And they took that abundance and served Baal, breaking their faithfulness. And while this justified a divorce and the breach of contract or covenant, right, to God, God thinks about it but chooses the alternative. He promises to pursue and renew. When asked why, it's because of his love and compassion and faithfulness. It's like we've been hearing this story in different families and times since Genesis 3 with Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. Hosea reminds us that the consequence of moral defection, breaching the covenant we agreed to, is defeat and exile. But there is hope and a promised future restoration. Israel will repent and come back, and like the promise God made in Genesis 3.15 to Eve of a descendant who would strike the head of the adversary and the cost would be a bite to his own heel, here Hosea describes a Messiah from the line of David, the tribe of Judah, who will be the king, the savior, and we know he'll also be the high priest. And we also get this hint that he's not going to come as a warrior here, we're reading, but another way he will rescue and save. And we know it's through Jesus. We are reading and being reminded that God's love and mercy are more powerful than sin, exile, and death. The second and third parts of the books of Hosea are going to be an exploration of this, but in more depth with warnings and accusations, followed by reminders of hope and God's mercy. An author named Francine Rivers wrote a great story around the characters of Hosea and Gomer. And there was also a recent movie in 2022, I think it was on Amazon Prime, but it probably was from another place originally, called Redeeming Love that offers a take on the story of Hosea and Gomer, which both gives you that tension that we feel when we're reading the story and considering God and Israel or this man and wife. When considering a God that pursues us faithfully and a hurt and broken heart of a person that morally defects and seeks to self-exile themselves, but there is a hope and a promise of future restoration. Pray for me, I'm praying for you. My prayer is this, found in Philippians 1, 9 through 11, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ for the glory and praise of God. What is this fruit? It is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things, there is no law. Galatians 5, 22 through 24. See you tomorrow.